the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the Word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the program. I'm back. I'm alive. And I'm alive. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And this is The Word to Stand Up for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions, life questions, whatever's going on in your life. You need only to call us, 210-340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR, numerically at 630-5757. You can email us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com or you can use our free Calvary Chapel mobile app. If you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the call now banner at the top of the screen and you'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Hey, thanks for your prayers. Those of you who are praying for my time in Mexico. We went up Saturday morning. Um, um, we, we got caught on the tarmac at Dallas, uh, for, at Dallas-Fort Worth Airport. Uh, just we're getting ready to go. A horrible storm came up, lightning and everything around. So they just kept us there for a while. So we got there late, but we got there. Um, uh, had a wonderful time. Pastor Jay Bentley uh, and the church, Calvary Chapel in Durango. It was a really, really great time to be there. It's always great to see family and friends, and that's what Jay and his family are. But in spite of, of uh, all that, you know, it was uh, a, a quick turnaround. We came home. Yesterday morning, didn't get back till last night. So if I'm a little tired and my brain's not working so well, please give me a little bit of grace. But we had a great time. Uh, I had a uh, wonderful opportunity. You know, it was uh, a little bit different um, when I'm when I'm, I don't speak the language. You know, I was preaching a message and I was being translated. Um, and uh, it's a little harder to carry the flow and really, really speak to heart. But but the people there were so loving and so welcoming. Um, it was a, just the right heart, the right spirit, the right feeling in that church. And then yesterday, I was given the honor of doing the very first chapel at their brand new school. They just started a school. Yesterday was day one. And so I got to do the first chapel. And um, and then we got ready to get on an airplane. So it was a great day. Please pray for Pastor Jay and Calvary Chapel Durango. Uh, for their new school. Uh, we walked in yesterday morning and there were a whole bunch of little kids there and they had that smile, that nervous first day of school smile. This is our new school. And uh, oh, it's just it was just wonderful. It was really, really a good time. So again, thank you all for your prayers. Well, let's get started with a question line one. We've got Brian from San Antonio. Brian, thanks for calling. You are on the air. Yes. Hi, Pastor Ron. I'd like to say congratulations on the new school in Durango. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, sir. Uh, my question is, what what are your thoughts on, I, uh, for the lack of a better word, it's like a Christian recovery programs 
um, kind of like celebrate recovery, if you will, uh, Christ-centered programs from for, for those people who uh, have issued or are currently battle with drug and alcohol addiction. I'm just curious to know what your uh, what your thoughts are on those types of programs. Okay, Brian, I'll, I'll I'll be I'll be happy to give you my thoughts on it, and uh, I pay, I make people mad. So again, I'm asking people to give me give me grace. You know, a, a program is not Christ centered. Uh, no matter how many times they say Jesus, a program is not Christ centered if it contradicts the Word of God. And Celebrate Recovery is just one example. There are others of secular programs given Christian lipstick. And and Christians in some of the churches, especially those that are a little over-the-top charismatic churches, and they're really not in the Bible. Uh, Brian, what happens is you end up trying to dress up a secular idea that is in contradistinction to the Word of God. I'll give you just a couple of examples. First, uh, the idea that it takes 12 steps to overcome uh, an addiction, whether it's alcohol, drugs, gambling, or sex, whatever it might be. Um, um, when, when Jesus says very clearly in his word that all things become new. Now, that doesn't mean our flesh dies. It doesn't mean that the temptation dies. But what it means is that that when we surrender our hearts to Jesus, the old is gone, 1 Corinthians 5, 17, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, the old is gone and the new has come. And we've got to decide, we've got to make a decision by faith who we believe. Celebrate Recovery and other 12-step groups, they say uh, the foundation is once an addict, always an addict. And if you miss a meeting, you're really in danger of falling back in that. And yet the Bible says just the opposite. The Bible says that if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. And we've got to decide whether or not we believe it. So I personally think that that these Christ-centered, to use your term, um, Recovery programs are not Christ-centered at all. Uh, if you were here at Calvary Chapel, Brian, what I would say to you is is hang out with Jesus and you won't do drugs. Hang out with Jesus and you won't drink. Now, the problem, of course, is that we've got flesh, we're weak, and the reality is that a lot of times we want to drink or we want to do drugs. That's That's what our flesh desires. And yet every day, surrendered to the Lord, we have the power in us that raised Christ from the dead. And these groups, Brian, simply don't believe it. Now, they would give lip service to believing it. But remember, the whole foundation of the program is that you are always an addict. You're always one drink away from being an alcoholic. You're one uh, joint away from, from falling back into drug addiction, those kind of things. Uh, I think we need to start leading people to Jesus instead of surrounding them with compassionate people who are going to put their arm around and say it's going to be okay. I would tell people, Brian, that it's never going to be okay. If you're not with Jesus, you're always going to sin. My flesh, your flesh is no better than it was before God saved. Jesus is the source of our strength. It's not a program. It's not people giving us attention. Our source of strength, our only source of strength is Jesus. And unless we really understand that and buy into it wholeheartedly by faith, then we're always going to find a way out. We're also told in the Bible that we're to take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. When you go to a a 12-step meeting, all you do, all that's done in the whole process is to dredge up those old memories. We're not taking the thoughts captive at all. What we're doing is saying, um, uh, you know, I, I, I simply choose to believe what my flesh wants to do. So, Brian, those are just a couple of basic reasons. But no, they're not Christ-centered at all. Even though they use the name of Christ, they're not. I know people think it is, is lacking compassion uh, well, a program is good. You're helping people. But a program is only good as long as it's consistent with the Word of God. And what we need to do, Brian, is have people really invested in knowing the Word, being with Jesus, and living in victory. It's it's really that simple. It's not a once I was blind, now I'm lost kind of thing. It's, look, once I was blind, now I can see. And Christians who are struggling with addiction, 
They need to realize it is, first of all, sin. It's not something that they have no control over, no power over. It is sin. They need to repent of that sin. Sin repented of allows us to ask God to purify us from all unrighteousness. And when we do that, the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon us. I think our problem with uh, what we call addictions in this world is that we try to beat them in the power of the flesh, and that's what these 12-step groups are all about. So, Brian, that's you asked, that's my opinion. I will get emails and people condemning me for it. Christians will say, well, you just don't understand it's different. No, a 12-step group is 11 steps too many. Brian, appreciate the question. Thank you very, very much. 340-9585, Polly asked the question, Pastor Ron, how many times should we pray for something if we don't get an answer? Uh, Polly, Jesus told a parable about the persistent widow um, who kept on asking. And we're told what the purpose of the parable is inside the parable by Jesus himself, that we should always pray and never give up. So my answer to your question would be, how important is it to you? Uh, most of you in this audience know my story. Paula prayed for me for 13 years. What if she got tired of praying for me after six years or seven years? Or God forbid, after 12 years? She kept on banging on the door of heaven on my behalf. And believe me, Polly, there were a lot of times when it didn't look at all I mean, at all, like, her prayers are going to be answered. In fact, she has a journal entry, and she kept her journals from those years of prayer. She has a journal entry that basically challenges God. God, you're good, but you're not that good. And by that, she meant that that uh, you're good and you're powerful, but you're not more powerful than my husband is stubborn. And she just about given up. I was two months away from getting saved when she wrote that. So, Polly, we keep on praying. Now, there's something else I want to address here, Polly, and that is make sure that you're praying for something in the will of God. Jesus, we know, prayed three times that the cup could pass from him. Three times he was told no. Now, three times doesn't sound like a lot, but when you're facing death in a matter of hours, it's a long, long time. But God said, there's no way this cup can pass because Jesus was able to pray. Nevertheless, thy will, not my will, be done. So, Polly, make sure that what you're praying for, James says, by the way, that we have not because we ask not or because we ask with the wrong motive. Are you able to say to the prayers that aren't being answered, are you able to say to Jesus, thy will be done? Will you still love him? Will you still be grateful to him? If he doesn't answer those prayers, if that is indeed his will. You see, those are the decisions that we have to make. So check your heart. What's your motive for asking for this? How is what you're praying for going to bring God glory? And then just say, Jesus, what I really want is what you want. And it's okay to make your request known to God. But remember, that has to be accomplished with a grateful heart. So you can make your request known to God, but if your heart's truly grateful, you'll say, but nevertheless, Lord, I trust you. I often, Polly, will say things to the Lord like, well, Lord, you know what I'm praying for. I want your will to be done. We've had some people here at the church, uh, Polly, who have been sick, and we we lost a dear woman uh, just a, a few days ago. And, you know, praying for, for people to get well is always a difficult thing for me because I feel like I'm sometimes giving God advice. God, please help this person or or touch him and heal. But I, I want what you want, Lord, those kind of things. I don't know what God's will is. So what I can do is ask him with the right heart, with the right motive, and then be content with whatever answer God gets. But keep on praying. Make sure that your prayers are able to be answered by God. One other thought. Sometimes, Paulie, there's sin in your life that prevents prayers from being answered. And I'm not talking about outright sin, although that's a possibility with all of us. But, but how about holding on to unforgiveness? How about holding on to unforgiveness? Are you willing, unwilling to forgive somebody who's hurt you, even though Jesus forgave you of far greater? 
Is there other sin in your life that prevents God from giving you the answers that you want? Those are the decisions that you've got to visit. But he said, Jesus himself, keep on praying and never, ever give up. Thank you, Polly. Hope that helps you. 340-9585 for your live calls and question. Um, Derek. Uh, Derek says, Grace confuses me. Grace covers our sins. But what if we keep on sinning? Well, Derek, one of the abilities God has given us is to trample on his grace. And that happens all the time. I don't think, I don't know why grace has to confuse you. Grace is unmerited favor. It it should astound you in a glorious way, but not confuse you. Unmerited favor. You don't deserve it. God gave it to you because he loves you. I think maybe the part of your problem is you're either talking to people or maybe in your own life, you keep on sinning and you're wondering, well, where's the grace? Grace doesn't cover sin except for believers. And John, First John says that people that keep on sinning aren't really believers at all. So if after receiving grace, you continue to sin, then I would posit that your transformation, your born-again experience, quote-unquote, is not real. Because you see, you meet Jesus, you have to change. So how can we keep on sinning? Paul writes to the church at Rome, where sin abounds, grace all the more abounds. That means you can't out-sin God's grace. But you see, God knows your heart, Derek. God knows your heart. And your heart is an open book to him. If you say, Lord, forgive me of my sins, I believe you. But you make no effort at stopping those sins. You didn't really meet Jesus. And I would suggest to you, Derek, that's exactly why you're confused. Grace is the most wonderful thing that's ever happened in this world. Grace is a God who chased me when I was on my way to destruction. And the moment I received it, I mean truly received it, I didn't understand it. I didn't know the definition of grace. But the moment I received it, I knew I was changed. When you meet Jesus, that's exactly what happens. So Derek, it's the best I can do with that. When grace confuses you, just receive it. Stop sinning. Titus chapter 2, verse 11 says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. That's the first part of it. We all understand that. But he also says that same grace for living. The rest of the sentence goes, It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and to live self-controlled, upright lives in this present age. So the man or the woman who keeps on sinning hasn't really met Jesus. It's that simple. I hope that makes sense. Here is a question from our mobile app from AJ. Uh, Pastor Ron, I've listened to your answer about 12-step type programs. If it helps use my testimony to shine a light on that, I'm an example of one that was never fixed by those drug programs. I tried those many different times before I met Jesus, and they never worked. But ever since God led me to Calvary Chapel, where people pointed me to Jesus, I learned how to trust in Jesus and to allow his power to change me. And he's the only one that changed me, and Jesus did something programs never could. Uh, AJ, thank you for that. I appreciate it very, very much. And your witness, your testimony is remarkable. The transformation in your life. Um, you're one of those guys that most of the world would look at and say, well, I can't believe God would save him. But but not only did God save you, but your life is just an abundant testimony of his goodness and his power. So thank you for that. Now, I'm going to differ one way from what you said. Um, I think a program is a good thing for unbelievers. The question that we had was for believers. 
So any program is better than no program at all. If somebody is an unbeliever, they don't have Jesus, they don't have access to the power of God. You know, when we told you about Jesus and you fell on your face and surrendered your heart to him, all this power from heaven came flooding upon you and in you. And that's why you were able to be transformed. That's why God did the work that he did. But you see, the rest of the world doesn't have access to that. So any program that supplies any discipline in somebody's life is better than no program at all. I know people that have been saved in AA. You know, they talk about a higher power and, you know, you can choose your higher power. But but there are times when Jesus intervenes even in AA groups, even in 12-step groups. And he'll grab somebody's heart and then he'll take them out of the program. But at the same time, they've got that power now that saves them. So I appreciate the affirmation, AJ, and uh, thank you for your heart for Jesus Christ. Uh, programs can help us a little bit. It's sort of like being on parole. But um, until you get pardoned, once you get pardoned, you learn how to live in freedom. God bless you. Can I say one other thing that AJ reminded me of? One of the problems with um, drug and alcohol rehab ministries, and there are a lot of them, we see a problem. We want to deal with the problem. Unfortunately, in the 12-step groups, we're using worldly means. But but one of the problems with them is that they never teach people how to live in freedom. You're always under bondage. doesn't matter whether it's Victory Outreach or Calvary Chapel's program or anybody else's program. There's tight, tight controls. Do this. We're watching you. And, and you never learn to live with the freedom of Christ. Paul, writing to the Galatians, in another context, said it's for freedom that we've been set free. And the whole idea, when somebody comes to Calvary Chapel and they've got a problem with drugs or alcohol, we lead them to Jesus, but we also let them know that apart from Jesus, everything is going to go on as it was. And when we say that to people, they look hopeless, but wait a minute, Jesus is there and he's with you, so learn to love him. And if I tell somebody, you can't do this or else, our flesh wants to do it. If I tell somebody, look, just love Jesus, they're going to do the right thing because they love Jesus because they're grateful. And that's what freedom is. And 12-step groups and these recovery programs, um, you know, the, the program itself in reality becomes the higher power. So I appreciate that celebrate recovery and some of the others say the higher power has to be Jesus. I appreciate that. But then they basically are teaching you that apart from their meetings and your participation in those meetings, Jesus really has no value in the process. So I'm grateful people get saved sometimes in AA and other 12-step groups, but it is to me an abomination that Christians will fall for secular packaging just sort of gift-wrapped with the name of Jesus. So, appreciate it, AJ. Thank you very, very much for that. We are almost out of time for this half of the program. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Uh, here is a question from Anonymous. He says, If God protects Christians, why do bad things keep happening? God doesn't protect Christians from bad things happening to them. Bad things happen and good things happen to saved and unsaved people alike. So I don't know, Anonymous, who told you that God was um, going to keep bad things from happening. He didn't even stop it when his own perfect son was being brutally murdered. And somebody say to me, where was Jesus when this terrible thing happened to me? I said he was the same place he was when his own son was being brutalized. So God's never promised to keep bad things from happening. And I think you've been taught what I call lightweight Christianity, Anonymous. Just trust Jesus. He's promised to be with you when bad things happen. He's promised to be a source of comfort for you when bad things happen. He's promised to provide peace that passes your ability to understand. 
when bad things happen to you. But bad things happen to everybody, to 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 Jesus certainly, to uh, King David, to Moses, to every Bible hero that, that we can think of. Bad things happen. And of course, we're living in a world right now where bad things are happening all the time. So don't labor under the misperception that if you're a Christian, God will keep you safe. That's not going to happen. Here's what he said. Look, I will be with you always to the end of the age. And you'll find strength. And it's in some of those really bad things that keep on happening to you, Anonymous. It's in those things where you're going to learn about the power of God. It's in those things where you're going to learn to be more like Jesus. Paul even describes it as sharing in the fellowship of his sufferings. Now, none of us want to do that, but he's always there. So remember his real promises. Don't invent promises he never made. Hey, we've got 30 minutes left in the program. 340-9585. This is the word to stand up for life. We'll be back in two minutes. To the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the second half of our program. We've got 30 minutes to take your calls and answer your questions. Uh, the first question I have is from Dewey. Now, I don't know that this is the same Dewey that we'll talk about when I answer this question. Um, you know, we get lots of questions, um, but um, um, my heart's been hurting for the Dewey that I'm speaking about, and I'll share uh, why and maybe a, a, the opportunity for people in the audience to pray, not just for Dewey, but for the situation he's talking about. Let me do the question first. Dewey says, uh, Revelation 7 says the wind is held back over the earth. It isn't possible for the wind to be stopped, so is that a metaphor? Now, I I, I don't think it's the Dewey that I know and love because uh, Dewey knows the, the answer to this question. But for the Dewey that wrote in, God is the God of creation. Uh, God stopped the wind and the storm and the waves on the Sea of Galilee in a terrible storm. He just stopped it. It was immediately still. So clearly he could stop that if he wanted. The same thing is going to be true during the Great Tribulation. And the Great Tribulation is going to be a dark and frightening time, and I don't think we really understand that. We hear the words, and it's like, yeah, I know it's going to be bad, but but God is dealing with his people Israel during the last seven years of the Great Tribulation, and it's going to be the worst thing in the world. You know, it's interesting because Israel is a tiny little country which on the surface of things appears insignificant. Still, since 1948, when Israel was miraculously regathered into its homeland after nearly 2,000 years away, that little country has been the center of the world's focus. Every head of state, every military leader, every business leader in the world has their attention riveted on Israel. And the reason is because God has commanded it to be so. God has commanded it to be so, and that's why we need to pay attention. Now, the verse that Dewey is speaking about in verse 1 is, After this I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth to prevent any wind from blowing on the land or on the sea or on any tree. Now, the, the metaphor here is the four corners of the earth, Dewey. The four corners of the earth is clearly symbolic we know that the earth is a sphere. The earth has no corners. So what we're being told in this verse is that these angels are holding back the wind. There's not even a breeze allowed to blow on the earth. Now, if we think about this, and this is why uh, how literal we have to take it, about a quarter of the population of the earth has been killed by this time in the Great Tribulation. This is early. That's more than a billion people and that was before the devastating earthquake resulting from the opening of the sixth seal. 
We have no way of telling how many more died in earthquake-related disasters, but it's impossible for the total not to be increased dramatically. Now, the wind ceasing means also that there could be no rain, which means the severe famine conditions resulting from the third seal is going to be multiplied many times over. Drinking water would be affected. Disease would spread quickly. There would be unbearable pollution. It would be almost like you could chew the air from the dust, the volcanic ash. And perhaps the grossest thing of all would be the unfathomable stench when it was all just there and no wind to circulate things. Uh, in Mexico, um, this this uh, weekend, uh, there were times when the stench was unbearable just outside. We were in Durango and, and it was just unbearable. Imagine if it was like 10,000 times worse than that without a breath of wind. By the way, the weather in Durango is absolutely beautiful. I think the high any day we were there was like 79 degrees. I think about 6,000 feet in elevation. And, and it, it was just delightful. But imagine without any wind. Drinking water would be affected. Disease would, spare, would, would spread quickly. There'd be unbearable pollution and all because this wind is being held back. Now, all of this possible, Dewey, by the Lord's power. So I hope that makes sense to you. Now, let me address my Dewey, because I'm not sure that was a question that came from him. Um, uh, Dewey is um, um, a former military man who spent a lot of time in Afghanistan. And I'm, I'm, I'm saying this um, not because Dewey's not the only one. Um, we're seeing now what happens in Afghanistan when we desert the people there. This is a human tragedy. Now, it is especially close to home for people like Dewey, who have fought and sacrificed so much as a result. Dewey, praise the Lord, he came home healthy and strong. But his heart is for the people there. Dewey loves Jesus. His heart is for the people there. And he sent me an email, and I won't read it all. He just says, the Afghan collapse is worrying me again, but I'll be okay. Trying to make sense of it, but I can't. Um, Dewey, the reason it, you can't make sense of it is because there's no sense in what we did. No sense in the decisions that keep coming. We've abandoned people that tried to help us. I'm old enough to remember what Saigon was like when we deserted. Uh, Vietnam. Now, I'm not suggesting that we should remain in these wars that go on and on and on. Uh, you know, I'm I'm of the the mindset that we either go to war to win it or we don't go at all. But the fact is, we did go, and people like you risked everything. Uh, I said, Dewey came home physically safe, but we've got people that didn't come home whole. We got people that came home. Many of those people on the streets homeless, with no hope in this world. And we would wonder for what? Listen to what Dewey said. Um, he said, many of us in this country, um, our task was to train and guide the Afghan National Army until, to, to train and fight together. Our motto was Shona Bashona. He defines that shoulder to shoulder. He said it was hard trying to get them um, centralized and stand for themselves at times. However, they did fight hard and well as long as we guided them. There are also huge issues like um, huge opium poppy fields. Uh, many of the young Palestinian men in the Afghan army were also homosexuals or flirting with it. It was very uneasy at times dealing with this. The country as a whole uh, is made mostly by its rural areas, is made mostly by its rural areas, and really only one national highway. Um, we knew that Afghanistan is the graveyard of empires. Today I'm feeling the burden for the women, the children, and the Christians there. I feel for them because I was one of many that was almost killed by the Taliban on August 2nd, 2009, in the Jalalabad Providence. I prayed for these people. Dewey, uh, I, I read part of that email because there's so many who are going through the same thing. I've talked to several. I talked to a, a man on the plane yesterday 
uh, about this very thing. What was the point and why are we doing this? And I just was able to tell him, you know, the, the, the only point that any of us have is to follow Jesus. So for my audience, please, this is another dagger to the heart of our veterans. And we need to pray for them. They're in difficult emotional territory. We need to keep them constantly in our prayers. Additionally, we need to pray for the Afghani people. There are a few Christians there. And their lives are now being risked. Young women have no hope, no future. It's amazing how focused we are on women's rights here. But we've abandoned an entire country. And we need to be really, really diligent in praying for our veterans who've come home and now wondering, why did we do all of this in the first place? So uh, my Dewey is not the only one. There's just a lot of people who are hurting now, and we need to deal with it. I'll get off my soapbox. Um, Dewey, thank you for at least allowing me to share that. 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Brandon asks, Pastor, do you think there can be unity in the body of Christ again after the division and rancor of the last 18 months? Uh, I don't know, Brandon. Thank you for the using the word rancor. That describes perfectly. It's kind of an ugly word, what's going on. Um, here's what I know. As long as we Christians walk in the flesh, there's going to be division. The only hope at unity in the body is by walking in the Spirit. Listen to this, Brandon. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. That's the fruit of the Spirit. You can go through that whole list and there is no room for disunity. And yet we've decided that we're going to argue about COVID, masks, vaccinations, political candidates. Um, I think, Brandon, that we're really, really getting that place where Jesus is ready to come home. With all of my heart, I believe that Jesus is ready to return. And if you read your Bible, it doesn't suggest that the church is going to be unified. Now, the true church, when we're taken out of here, there will be no hope of unity in this world ever again. And I think a lot of us as Christians, on the day when we're taken out of here and we stand before Jesus, we're going to be dreadfully ashamed of the division that we caused, the the value with which we held our own opinions. So here's the short answer, Brandon. Only in the power of the Spirit can there be real unity. Now, unity does not mean uniformity. And we have a sense that unity means we all have to think alike and talk alike. That's, that's not at all the case. The beautiful thing about the body of Christ is the diversity in this body. It's just, it's, it's, we're, we're all different. We all have different gifts. We look different. We come from different backgrounds. We're different ages, different economic brackets. Uh, we, we come from different races and nationalities. And we're this beautiful, beautiful jigsaw puzzle that Jesus puts together in local bodies, and we call them churches. And there should be unity. As long as we're more interested in giving our opinion on Facebook and trying to make sure everybody likes it, then there will be no unity. But remember, Brandon, our unity has to be in Christ, not in opinions, not in thought. Our unity can only be that which is approved of by the Lord. And uh, we're in 1 Corinthians 13. I get back to that this coming Sunday um, in in uh, our studies. And without love, there is no unity because without love, there's no Jesus. Hope that helps. Let's go to line one. We've got Jeff on line one. Jeff, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hey, Pastor. It's so good to hear your voice live. Thanks, Jeff. I'm glad I, I'm glad I have a voice. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, just, um, man, I missed church on Sunday. I had I got called into work. And that's always a hard thing when, when that happens. But a friend yeah. of mine reminded me that you know, you're a Christian, and there's no secular job when you're when you're, no matter where you go, what you do, we do everything is unto the Lord. But still, you know, I can be disappointed. 
<laughs> so I wanted to ask you if you would comment on Romans eight twenty nine, and if you would use that uh, Ron Arbaugh version of the Bible. <laughs> that's and, uh, one of my personal favorites. That's right. And love you and look forward to seeing you soon. Bye-bye. Thank you, Jeff. God bless. I, I told Jeff I'm grateful to have a voice. You know, there was a lot of stress in uh, um, in in uh, Durango because when we, we got there, um, we were told we couldn't get back on the plane without a negative COVID test. And we knew that was the case, but now we got to go to test and we got all this other stuff. The lines are long. Uh, finally, we found a time when there wasn't a whole bunch of people there. And uh, we, we got in line and had our test done and gratefully they came back negative. But, you know, you, you spend those hours wondering, well, what if it's a false positive? I know I don't have it. What if it's a false positive? We're going to be stuck. So we were trying to make uh, alternative plans. I had to, to ask Jesus to forgive me. God, I'm so sorry for worrying about that kind of stuff when you had it all under control. But, um, you know, it, it's it's just a different environment and and it really hits the voice. Jeff, Romans 8.29, now you know that I like it. Um, we don't like it, and I say that collectively, because uh, it, it hints at the idea of predestination. It's such a polarizing idea, um, but it's it's also uh, confusing to many. Well, well, if God predestined this, that means he predestined some to go to hell and some to go to heaven, and that's not what it says at all. You asked about the Ron version. I always call it the RIV, the Ron International Version. Um, the, the, my, my version is this. God made a decision because he knew that Ron Arbaugh was going to be his son. God made a decision to love Ron no matter what Ron did, no matter how Ron tried to change his mind. God set his love upon me and decided he would never take it away. And he was patient with me until that day I gave my heart to him. So that's what's important. We need to understand God's foreknowledge whenever we deal with this idea of predestination. God lives outside of time and space. God is the I am. He's always in the present. And so there was no, for God, a pre-Ron and a post-Ron. Now, I broke his heart, but he always knew I would be his. My name was written in the Lamb's Book of Life long before February of 1991 when I surrendered my heart to Jesus Christ. It was entered into the Lamb's Book of Life before the foundations of the world were laid. So once my name went in there, Jeff, it was there forever, never to be blotted out. And that's what Romans 8.29 says. Now, this is about life in the Spirit, Romans chapter 8. And because it's about life in the Spirit, this is the confidence that we all should have, that Jesus chose us. He never would unchoose us. And our hearts ought to be so filled with gratitude that we can truly say that only in Christ, the verse we all know, the verse just before it, is that we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. So, Jeff, that's my, I love that verse uh, because of what it means to me personally. God had a lot more patience with me than I ever could have had with him. Uh, Before we go on to the next question, um, uh, producer just uh, sent me a message um, he said, your Dewey called in. And Dewey said, thank you, Pastor Ron. You're a true blessing. And yes, that first question was not him. I didn't I didn't think it was. Um, but again, please keep our veterans like Dewey, uh, so many we have in our church and so many in our community, and as I said, so many living on the streets, streets with their lives in shambles. They need Jesus. Keep praying for them. And let the Spirit of God move upon them. And when you get the opportunity to minister to them, no matter how crazy they may look to you, remember that a lot of the times their craziness comes from um, the things that they've been through. And and now, apparently, they were went through it for no reason at all. Andy says, Pastor Ron, what's the best way to respond to somebody who says he's a believer but doesn't believe the Bible has authority over his life? 
He says he follows Jesus, not the Bible. Um, Andy, I wouldn't respond to him any other way than to just remind him that he needs to be saved. A believer believes the one who sent him. Not just believes uh, effectively, but believes in powerfully the message. And the, the Bible is about Jesus. So don't be confused, Andy. This is not a real believer. Um, the Bible is the word of God. And if you're going to follow Jesus, he's going to lead you to his word and you're going to be obedient. This is just somebody, Andy, who wants to sin and justify that God's okay with his sin. So that's what you do. You say, look, you may say you're a believer, but my Bible says otherwise, and I'm going to be praying for you. Jesus died for your sins. He rose on the third day, and all you have to do is believe and receive, and heaven can be yours. And then leave it alone. There's nothing else you can say. These people are intellectually dishonest. Not only are they intellectually dishonest, um, but they're trying to kid themselves that they're going to be in heaven because, well, I believe in Jesus Christ, but they never lived a moment for him. So, um, Andy, I hope that answers your question. Here is, a, oh, Tanya from San Leandro on line one. Too long, Tanya. How are you doing? Hi, Papa. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you. So I started reading um, Leviticus, and um, I, I get the overall you know, um, the overall picture of what's being illustrated there, because it's kind of confusing with the blood on the right ear and the right thumb. And um, <laughs> But could you could you help me get a little bit better understanding with regards to the offerings, like the grain offering, um, the, uh, sin, the sin, I understand the sin offering, the fellowship offering, um, a little the burnt offering. I, I thought it was just one big, you're offering up these, animals without blemish to the Lord. So can you help me understand that a little better? Yeah, I can, Tanya, and and I'll, I'll probably do a poor job of it today just because it's so long, but but uh, I'll, I'll deal with this as, as best I'm able today. It's really good to hear from you. I miss you. A couple of things. One, when you get to Leviticus in your Bible, on the first page of it, just write these three words, because this sums up all of Leviticus. God hates sin. God hates sin. Now, all of the offerings, if you, if you, if you look at those offerings and find Jesus in there, you'll see what those offerings are about. Now, obviously, the, the Day of Atonement was the, the most holy day on the Jewish calendar. And the Day of Atonement is when the high priest would go in once a year, uh, first to sacrifice blood for his own sins on the the, the altar, and then he would on the, where the Ark of the Covenant was, and then he would uh, then sacrifice um, sprinkle blood on the altar again for the sins of the people. And if he came out, the people would erupt in joy because their sins had been forgiven, covered over from year to year. But all of the other offerings, the grain offerings, the sin offerings, the burnt offerings, um, they, they all told a different story. Uh, the fellowship offerings. Um, you know, in, the, in the, the Holy of Holies was the table of showbread. Um, and and there, were, there were loaves that, that, that represented fellowship with God. Well, the fellowship offerings later would be a picture of, of our fellowship with Jesus Christ. 1 John 1, nine says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. That means that the fellowship offerings in the Old Testament were simply a picture of how we can walk with Jesus. Now let's go way back before Leviticus for a moment. I'll give you the, my favorite example of this in all of the Bible. It's Enoch. Enoch for 65 years was like everybody else in the world. It was a world completely given over to sin. Every inclination of man's heart was only evil all the time. For 65 years, Enoch was just like that. God sent him a message, and it pierced his heart. And then for the next 300 years, it says, Enoch walked with God. That's fellowship. Enoch sacrificed the world and walked with God and pleased God, and suddenly he was taken away. He was no more. Well, in 
our lives as New Testament Christians. We sin, we mess up because we're human. But when we confess our sins and our sins are forgiven, we're purified from all unrighteousness, we're right back in the place where God um, is able to fellowship with us again. You know, I don't like sinning or disappointing Jesus, but when I do, I love it when Jesus, I say, God, I'm so sorry, please forgive me. And he shows up and says, hi, let's walk. We got things to talk about. Um, That's what the fellowship offering was a picture of. The burnt offering is another one that was um, one of my favorites. You know, you, you, you put the whole animal on the altar. And it would be completely consumed. It would the the insides would be taken out, and the fat would be taken out, and put on the on the altar, and then the animal would be put there until it was completely consumed. Nothing left of it. But imagine the smell of that offering with the fat, and the meat being roasted. So um, that's when we surrender our bodies. Romans twelve one. We surrender our bodies as living sacrifices. That's what it smells like to Jesus. So, Tanya, I'll maybe hit on this a little bit again tomorrow if you can listen. Uh, We're out of time for today's program. Uh, Please pray for our school staff. This week is staff back in action. Next week, our school starts. May the Lord bless you and keep you. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Lord willing, I'll be back tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630 The Word. We'll see you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.